Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone, my guest today is a former professional footballer and co-founder of Hilo Athletics, a brand on a mission to put considerations for the planet at the heart of the conversation around sport, starting with their renewable, carbon negative and recyclable trainers. I'll now allow them to introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing. I'm very excited to welcome them to the podcast. Hello. Hi, Francesca. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Michael, one of the co-founders of Hilo, and we were established in 2020 um, with a, a clear but bold mission of protecting the future of running and sport. As you mentioned, my background is in professional football, so I have a real passion and connection, I guess, to the outdoors and, and sport, and that has now manifested itself in running post-retirement um, so excited to have a chat lovely to meet you michael and i i don't want to guess your age but i'm guessing that growing up there must have been quite a consumerist drive around the football scene was that kind of the era of kind of david beckham and sort of selling a lifestyle yeah so I'm 30. Um, I just had an uphill paper round, as, as my dad would say. Uh, and yeah, being involved in the football space was was interesting, certainly as a kid. You had the likes of Beckham, uh, Gerrard, all of these sort of icons of, of British football. Um, but, but also this kind of context as well around sport and this kind of explosion, really, that I think we're now seeing really um, in its kind of fullest sense from a commercial point of view in the Premier League at the moment. So um, I think the one thing that I found challenging about the space to a certain degree was the the lack of awareness, I would say, that we as footballers had to the fact that we were playing outside every day, which sounds silly, but it, it, it didn't seem to sort of be, be a point that we would talk about that we have this job that allows us to go outside and and kick a ball invariably in in some form well not invariably always in nature and yet the conversation on climate change and how football was being impacted um, was not present but yet we were all outside so uh, I sort of found that a little bit interesting um, 
and sort of led me on this journey to, to I guess, where I am now. But there seems to be kind of different conversations happening in football now um, in terms of, I mean, there's more nuanced messaging around masculinity too with kind of Gareth Southgate's team, for example, they're, they're kind of talking a lot more about values alongside that kind of historical binary of just winning versus losing. And do you think that's a barometer for where we're now at in, in the sport? I think in many respects, yes. I think football has come a long way. I think you've seen certainly throughout sort of the pandemic and with issues around that, issues in, in, in terms of sort of societal issues, football has this amazing voice and platform to drive change. So um, I don't know if you would have seen a footballer like Marcus Rashford have the confidence to you know come out and change essentially government policy you know, 10, 20 years ago, but the voice of the athlete and the context of the footballer is now quite different. But I also think that there is still some work to be done around, you know, a number of different important issues, but particularly around sort of climate change and how we, you know, frame that conversation because a lot of the time it can be seen as quite sort of ethereal, I guess, and, and somewhat in the distant future. But football today is being impacted and, um, you know, whether you're a sort of uh, passionate about nature or not, if you're passionate about football, you should be passionate around the, the, the subject of protecting it and 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 also the kind of the commerciality of that because the product of football um, on the field is reliant on a healthy environment and without that sort of foundational um, setup, you're not going to have all of the sort of the riches and joys of of, of professional football. So. Um, that's sort of partly what I talk about a little bit now um, of trying to sort of connect the kind of commercial aspects of of sport um, to the enjoyment part mm. of sport and then also to the kind of the climate part of sport because all of those three things are interwoven. Mm. And as you say, although those social issues are increasingly creating a start in the sport the environment isn't making such an impact in terms of what people are talking about so where did that drive come from specifically for you in terms of leading on trying to initiate those conversations around climate i'm going to give you quite a softy sort of answer here but i think it's just the in my everyday since i was a kid really i've I feel most at peace when I'm in nature and outside and um, you know a lot of my life is kind of geared around that and and trying to to kind of either run find some time to run or um, find some time to go kind of cold water swimming or or you know those those moments where you just feel like so at peace and I think I, I've never felt that um, same feeling without sort of kind of nature around me um, and I think from there, I started to sort of watch David Attenborough and do sort of some of the, the kind of the basics um, in terms of, I think, kind of learning about uh, climate change and understood that it's not a given. So therefore, if, if I love the, this one thing that gives me so much joy, um, it, it excites me. Um, 
and I've had the privilege to kind of earn a living from from sport, then I think the natural logical process for me was to find a career kind of in the intersection of of all of those things. Um, and now with Hilo, I kind of feel that it, it, it marries together a lot of the things that I'm passionate about, obviously sport, and, and we need great products in order to enjoy sport and in order to uh, pursue our sort of passions. Um, I guess it would, it's kind of inspiration, like brands kind of have this unique ability to inspire and get people moving and get people kind of connected to, to different things. Um, and then obviously uh, kind of climate change, if we are to to disrupt what's what's happening, then the systems and processes and, and kind of ways of operating that historically have kind of perpetuated industry need to change. Mm. So it's it's coming from a place of love and gratitude, really, as opposed to the more kind of sensationalist aspects, I guess, of, of the climate crisis. Deep down, yeah, I think that's that's where I come from. Is I never, I wasn't a climate science. I'm not sort of got a science background. Of you know, I was an okay footballer, and um, um, but the one thing that I always, you know, just loved was just kind of being outside and being in nature and I think for me that feels like the most scalable place to derive my energy I guess from mm. um, because I'm not a very uh, opinionated or well, I am an opinionated person to a certain degree but like I don't you know I don't enjoy some of the polarized debates that sort of happen around these things I I, I try and kind of come from that positive angle um, which is really authentic to me, which is I just, I just, you know, I love sunrises and sunsets and I want to sort of like keep animals going and I want to swim in the ocean and do stuff like that. There is a kind of beautiful simplicity to that though. And do you think it's actually that that helps you to not feel overwhelmed by the immensity of the problem because I mean there's a myriad of drains on environmental resources you know from flights to powering stadiums to like the competing interests of clubs and sponsors and fans and brands this is in you know competitive sports like like football and I can imagine that it must it it can seem like you can get a bit lost amongst that and I mean where do you even begin <laughs> with impacting on such an immense footprint um whilst what you've done is is to kind of identify one way that you can move forwards with that um, uh, that's very definite. And do you think that coming from that place of kind of simplicity in a way kind of contributes to that? Yeah, I think, listen, everyone has a different way of processing things. I've always been quite like a matter of fact person. And I think sport teaches you to keep moving forward because you have a ton of in inverted commas adversity or negativity to to kind of wade through um, throughout that career and not that i'm immune to it at all because i'm not but you sort of kind of worry less about um about sort of how how things are perceived or how you're perceived and worry less about outcomes i think because you understand that there's just a very incremental process that you need to go through because sport is very much like you've got a game on Saturday if you lose 
you're going to feel pretty bad. But then you've got another game on Saturday, and then you've got another game, and then another game, and it's you know you just got to continue to find kind of the I guess energetic resource to to to, to compete. Um, and for me, I fully understand some of the anxiousness and 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 how overwhelming it can be, but. I've essentially got got a um, a goal to build Hilo into kind of this impact focused sportswear business, um, and I can't worry too much around like what's going what's going to happen. Um, just got to focus on the next thing and and sort of moving forward. And I think um, I think partly it's to do with just uh, the reason why I'm doing it and the simplicity of that, which I touched on, but partly to do with having played football you're never you're ne it's never that bad that you can't find the will to to come back and it's never that good that it's going to last forever um, <laughs> and so you kind of get to this middle ground where you're like just keep moving yeah because it's interesting because people might see kind of a career as a professional footballer to then being an entrepreneur as being kind of diametrically opposed but actually it sounds like a lot of the skills that enabled you to to keep going in the competitive sports scene actually then cross over in into what you're doing now so what was that trajectory in terms of your pivoting with your career so in 2019 my friend at the time who's now my business partner Jacob called me up and said what brands do I subscribe to as an athlete and I remember those like exact words um, because subscribe felt a little odd. But if you know Jacob, it, it's not so odd because that's kind of the way he processes things. And um, I, I was going through this journey as an athlete of, you know, I bought a hybrid car, which for a footballer at the time was slightly different. And I was learning a little bit more and talking a little bit more in the dressing room about things, but by no means some kind of, I would say, environmental advocate in the sort of the typical formal guise of that um, and then from that discussion we started to explore this idea that there wasn't a brand really for me and was that either um, a me problem or was that an athlete problem or was that an athlete problem um, and actually I think we came to the conclusion that there, it was kind of an athlete problem there wasn't a mainstream sports brand that connected athletes to the environment there were lots of these sort of outdoors brands which you know you could call mainstream sports as well but but weren't sort of football and running and these sort of urban sports that I think are associated um, with whatever you term mainstream um, and why was that in this day and age and and so uh, we then were sort of pretty obsessed by this idea of building one um, and that was 2019 we spent about 14, 15 months kind of getting our ducks in a row, so to speak. And then we launched in September 20, well, we launched a soft launch in July 29th on the birth of my daughter, which was uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was bizarre that she was born on the same day that we soft launched. So we did this sort of like um, friends and family launch. And then the day after, which was even weirder, I went back to pre-season pre training. So uh, there wasn't so much there wasn't so much of a concept of paternity leave in football um so I went back to training for two months I sort of ran three jobs you know new dad 
professional footballer and, and kind of startup founder and played the first game of season in September 2020 and the day after retired. <laughs> so uh, handed in a three-year contract um, at the club that I was at and turned up the following day um, in, in London in an office environment kind of trying to figure it all out. <laughs> How did it feel leaving that behind? I think it was, it was easier than you think. I felt quite convinced that this was the right move. And I think it got harder with over a period of time. I think the reason I came to the conclusion so quickly is I felt like really convinced by it and therefore I just acted because that's how I kind of am. Um, and then over sort of, I think 12 to 18 months, I think it, it got harder, which I think is probably the inverse of what you'd expect. You'd sort of think it was difficult at first and then got easier, but actually it's got harder as, as, as time's gone on because um, you realise that actually, um, like anything in life, there's positives and negatives to, to, to all jobs. And, and I had it pretty good just kind of turning up and kicking a ball around. <laughs> now you've got to deal with an office, which is a, a different kind of training ground, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Were your family entrepreneurial? Has that always been a driving force in your life? Yeah, so my my dad was, um, both my parents are from really working class backgrounds. My uh, mum from a tiny village just north of Scunthorpe and my dad um, uh, from a town called Newark and um, both from lovely, lovely families, but just pretty tough upbringings. And uh, my mum was the first university educated um, person in her family. And, you know, which I deem pretty entrepreneurial, um, uh, even though it's not sort of setting up a business, I think, you know, to go through sort of adversity as a, as a kid and not really have any education and then find a way to get an education is pretty, is pretty cool. And um, then she went and worked for Lehman Brothers in the city in human resources and had like a really um, uh, great career. Uh, and then my dad left school at 15 and um, basically went to work behind the till of a bank and uh, went to London, you know, so this is actually a true story with 20 quid and slept on friend's sofas and uh, ended up um, setting up his own uh, business in finance and, and was, was super successful. Um, and my sort of upbringing was very different to theirs. You know, I was privately school educated and. Um, I very much resonate with that that story because I, I sometimes look at my life and think how, how lucky I was just to like, you know, have that education and have football and then um, have, I guess, the ambition and, and have um, the feeling that I could go and do things because not everyone has that sense um, because of because of my parents and the rest they took and, and who they were. And I, I do feel like it seems odd because I, I went to like a private school and stuff and had a really privileged upbringing uh, but I do feel like I resonate with that working class sort of culture and roots that they that they came from um, even though probably our life and their life from that point seem quite distant to that place. Sometimes you can believe your own bullshit a bit and think about how um, yeah how 
how good it is what you're doing but actually like I do it's, it's this like funny feeling that I always kind of check in with where it's just like you say just why well, they call it like the ovarian lottery or something just like being born in a place at a particular moment in time it's like you know pretty lucky um so yeah I feel um yeah very lucky to them uh great grateful to them I guess I love that ovarian lottery I haven't heard that term yeah, before yeah. <laughs> and I know another term that you've coined is um patagonizing Nike um in conjunction with Hilo Athletics and I wonder kind of how are you applying a bit of Patagonia's philosophy and then what makes you different to the mainstream shoe brands because you you reflected that actually when you first started the company it was based on that you know which brands do you subscribe to and you felt that actually you wanted something different yeah I think when you put on any piece of clothing you are expressing yourself it is a representation of who you believe you are and within sport that I feel like is even more powerful because it's kind of like who you are and who you have the potential to be because sport is has got that kind of relationship with kind of self-improvement and and doing better and, and, and achieving and I feel like when when you wear a brand in sport, you are sort of embodying the athlete that you want to be, or embodying another athlete that you admire, and and that's quite important. And for for me, obviously, I grew up playing football and played for ten years professionally, and would wear these other brands, and not really think about that relationship. Whereas I go home, and in the morning, think about what I'm going to put on and. And, you know what clothes I'm going to buy and you would have that relationship whereas like, I just turn up and my kit would be laid out for me as a player a very spoiled player and your boots would be there and yeah you'd have you know I had times I, I was doing well enough to have like sponsorship deals but at times I wasn't and but, but regardless I never really thought about that um, what I was saying like how I was communicating with both myself but also with others around who I was um, I hope I'm explaining that well but from there, you then start to, to think about, well, you know, what does it, what does it mean to sort of, you know, um, what, what does a brand mean to me? Um, and I always resonated with the likes of like Patagonia, who like, you know, spoke about the, the environment and the integrity of products and uh, longevity and, and durability and all of these things that I would say are core to their product principles and brand principles. And But I would also love like this kind of the, the energy of a Nike where they would like make you feel like anything was possible and you know there's some great moments in my youth where I remember like watching like the golf masters I'm not a big golf fan but where the, the Nike ball um, tips into the hole and uh, um, sorry here's my daughter she comes to say hello um, <laughs> hello I'm Francesca nice to meet you Hi. what's hey, your name What's your name? Come and hear you. Oh, no, I put headphones in. Oh. Just, okay. Just go see mummy. Okay. Sorry, two minutes. Yeah. Sorry. As I was saying that, um, you know, they have, Patagonia have this kind of amazing philosophy around how they make things. Nike has this amazing energy around how they make you feel and 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 
and how they connect you to sporting moments. And for me, those two brands like together are really, really exciting um, because you've got the environmental integrity and, and I guess, um, thought around products of the Patagonia and then you apply it to sort of the Nike um, philosophy of sort of winning and performance and, and those two things together are pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people want to do the right thing, but also you want to run fast too, right? Sometimes. <laughs> uh, and those big brands have had a kind of monopoly over that that messaging as well, haven't they, for, for a long time. So can you just talk me through the whole process that goes behind the shoes from the materials to the supply chain to the workers? Yeah, so when we started, I was very much um, a passionate but relatively ill-informed, um, I guess, person in sustainability. I thought, you know, there was there was sort of one thing that meant it was sustainable. And actually, the realisation very early on was it's, it's not just one thing. And sustainability in, in many ways although I think it is a positive concept, is kind of a fallacy because um, in order for something to be sustainable, it has to sort of regenerate in its entirety. And, and um, that is not what happens. There is an impact and there is a kind of an environmental cost to making things. Um, and I think the, the more we normalise that, the, the, better it, the better the conversation is because it becomes objective and not subjective. Uh, kind of sustainability... Um, in many ways is a bit of a fallacy um, and I don't mean that to sort of discourage people from embracing it it's more just to be like factually products have an impact what and when we talk about sustainability you can kind of like I guess try and push that kind of into a generic conversation when it's not it's quite a nuanced conversation um, so we focus on impact guide and we try and objectify it First and foremost, that's like our one of our points of difference, I would say, in how we approach things. Um, so impact and and is trying to understand like what kind of the current space looks like and then how you can improve on it. So our shoe, as an example, um, is 52% less carbon intensive to make than the average running shoe. We calculate that by doing sort of life cycle assessments on the product. So understanding from our supply chain, you know, the kind of the estimates of, of how much energy it takes to get used to, to produce it, the materials versus normal materials. And, and we come up with sort of a carbon score. Um, um, and that helps us sort of get a base camp of, of, of are we actually doing things better? Um, so. Um, so, that, so that's one aspect of it, it's just object, objectifying it and taking the conversation away from sustainability and impact. Um, I guess to simplify, um, the problem in footwear really is beginning and end of life really. So beginning of life is entirely propagated by fossil fuel derived materials in reality. All shoes are made from polyester, nylon, or most kind of sports shoes are um, that are out there are made from those, those materials. These require fossil fuels to make them, oil, um, and obviously, um, well, not obviously, but from the IPCC um, 
report around climate change, fossil fuels is the number one cause of the climate crisis, and the main thing we need to transition away from in a in a in a better kind of climate future, I guess. Um, so for us, we try and link our kind of thinking to the science. So if if shoes are currently made with fossil fuel derived materials, then what can we substitute with them? Substitute then those materials with in order to maintain performance. So we focus on renewable materials where we can. So we look at a shoe and we say, of this shoe, how do we change the materiality while still providing the customer with a product that enhances their experience? So at, at the moment, um, uh, some, of, uh, some of our shoes in our range are about 56% renewable based. Um, some are getting closer to 70% as we get um, um, bigger and, and, and I guess move away from some of the original products that we made and have more understandings of, of our products. And our ultimate vision is to make 100% renewable based shoe um, from a material standpoint. So that's beginning of life. End of life, 90% of shoes um, on average, end up in landfill. Uh, that's that was from um, uh, a study done um, a while ago, and um, I think we've all been in that situation where you have a pair of shoes, they're done with, you run in them, but nobody else really wants them, and there's no sort of like end value there for a charity or for for anyone else for that matter. So we are trying to kind of close the loop around that by by investing in. Um, repair and recycling services through our products so when you get a high low shoe um all the newest versions of it they have a platform embedded in them um called high loop so you just tap the product with your phone and you get services for care repair and recycling um which enable you to keep your product going for as long as possible which is in inverted commas the most sustainable thing you can do is is, is buy less and, and wear longer but it also allows us to take responsibility and take back these products into our supply chain to um, to close that loop. Um, so uh, yeah, quite a, we could be here for a long time talking about it, but that's the, the basic premise. And do you feel like that messaging is landing with your target audience? How do you measure that? With, well, probably what all of everything I've just said, um, probably not because I didn't explain it very well, but also it, it can feel quite a lot. Um, I think recently we've got better at communicating and that means showing it and not saying it. So we did a campaign recently with a shoe dripped in oil and it literally said, um, this isn't working. Um, and we have sort of information then around that to be like, well, fossil fuels is 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 the issue in our industry basically but me spending five minutes talking about that is is way less impactful than me showing your shoe dripped in oil um and i think as a brand when you're dealing around sustainability it's not about just like overwhelming people with like clever words and science it's about being creative and, and taking the discussion into a creative space and getting people almost excited about what you're trying to do um, and and pound for pound matching these great brands for their content and and uh um because otherwise you just become like sort of quite a, a niche sort of offering i think to, to your point around measuring it 
that's the awful and great thing about social media these days is you can tell pretty quickly if you've done something that's good or bad based on a number of different metrics so for communications we can we can quickly tell if something has resonated or engaged with people whether that's for good or a bad thing is 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 somewhat subjective and that that messaging and that that was a brilliant um campaign with the shoe dipped in the oil and um I know that you wrote around that, this idea about not being perfect, but we are impatient. And I think there's, there can sometimes be perceived to be a dichotomy between kind of turning a profit and then educating people to buy less <laughs> at the same time. And I can imagine that that is, you know, a big conflict that, that you have to discuss as well as, as a company. And so what does good look like? for you yeah it's a great question and it's also something that is a fine balance because um it can quickly feel quite inauthentic um if if it's not well thought out um to both yourself and and to the audience that you're talking to i guess i think in short it's just about being honest and that was part of that campaign that we did it's like hey, this is the problem, this isn't working. But rather than just I'll say, this is the problem that we have the solution to, say, you know, we're not perfect too, but we have some solutions. They might not be silver bullets, but they are a journey of better. Um, and for me, that's like vitally important that we just take this honest approach to our communication, um, as well as a creative approach that like we engage with people, but we engage with them in a way that is, is, is very honest. Um, because I think I think over 20, 30 years, like you might get a few things wrong, but you'll come out on the right side of things most times if you take that approach. Whereas when you start to get cute and think, how does this come across? Does this make us look a little bit like we're not doing enough or we're encouraging stuff? Then inevitably you're going to get it's going to feel inauthentic and you're going to be wrong. So for us, like that is like my north star is like if it feels a little bit uncomfortable, say it because you you're, you're being honest. Um, and sometimes honesty is uncomfortable. The, the, the second point around uh, kind of the dichotomy of selling and, um, and uh, impact and consuming less is, is actually one that weirdly I've made the most amount of peace with recently because I have fallen in love with running in the last probably two years. Um, it is now, I would say, my identity as a sports person more so than a footballer um and the privilege of like just going for a run and being with friends and stuff like that and experiencing things through running has, has given me a lot um so the ability to make products for people to do those things is just as exciting to me now as it is to like make them better and encourage people to consume less so whilst i do still think it's incredibly important we all consume less I do believe it's important that we move and that when we do come, come to consume, we consume better. So my, you know, I'm unashamedly um, just kind of, I guess, clear that we are a business that exists, you know, to make profit. We're not a charity. Um, we reinvest those profits to improve ourselves and to improve the future of running and the context of that. And if I'm sat here in like 20 years time, having, given people products that they connect to that enhances their experience of movement 
whilst also improving on every other shoe that's ever been made impact in the planet, then that's progress. I'm not here to basically bullshit people and say like sustainability is a free pass that all of us can take and yeah, go and go and enjoy yourselves with any, without any compromise because like, that's just not, that's just not uh, accurate or, or fair. Yeah, absolutely. And so much of your communication is just as much about engaging people in movement and the benefits for their mental and physical health as, as it is about the sustainability as well. You kind of interrogate a lot kind of why, why we run. And I'm sort of interested at this point to pivot to the role of storytelling in the high-low journey as well and, and how you use that and work with athletes. Yeah, so I think if if you run, you know why you run because it's almost not like a kind of a cognizant thing. It's just a feeling that you get in your life when you're running a lot. And when I'm running a lot, my life feels a lot easier than when I'm not. And the same things can happen. And I think telling those stories to me is interesting. Um, but I also think it's important because we are living in a, like a difficult, I guess, epoch or whatever you want to call it, where there's a lot of shit being thrown at people and a lot of challenges and and running and I believe can be like sort of a tonic to, to, to a lot of that, or at least I've experienced that. So that really is our sort of, I guess, approach to things is, we have like a bit of a creative saying in the team where it's like, does this make you want to run? And that is usually our barometer for whether it's like interesting or not. Um, and as long as it's sort of, somebody goes, yeah, it makes you want to run. Um, <laughs> then it's kind of cool to go out. Um, and if it doesn't, then we sort of reflect and, and re-approach uh, re the, the, the creative. Um, but but it, it should just make you want to run. Like it's not rocket science. Like it's a pretty cool thing to go and run and, and move and, and feel good. And there's pretty cool people doing it. So we're just trying to connect the dots. And you also tell the stories of quite a few other creatives and, and change makers in, in the written content on, on your website and, and um, social media. How does that fit into your vision for Hilo as well? Is that part of your kind of community building? Yeah, so I guess the brand, we have sort of two brands really at Hilo or two two energies. One is Hilo Athletics, which is I guess the company and and and, and the origins. And then we have this um, platform, this storytelling world called Champions of Tomorrow, which is the kind of the I guess our community, the embodiment of our community. So um, if you're a champion of tomorrow, you know we believe that you align with you know the vision of of a world around running and and better you know impact around products and and that you know fundamentally you're just a decent person i think um uh and and that's sort of our i guess our creative outlet to tell stories around people we also do champions of champions of tomorrow events um and i think storytelling now in the modern age is um not that i know anything different but just feels like it's like everywhere you've got to be on every platform and whilst that's exhausting it's just the nature of the beast so it's like you've got to be creative about how you execute that so it's like written audio visual and trying to make that all kind of uh, proliferate across the various platforms can be tough at the 
time, but that's the only way to really do it these days is like kind of try and be present on all of them. Um, so yeah, Champions of Tomorrow is sort of, I guess, the energy or the container for, for both ourselves, but anyone to come and like tell a story that they want to our brand. Um, and that's what I love about it. It sort of like removes the company or the person or like me as the founder away from the brand. It's like Champions of Tomorrow is just like, you know, anyone. It's like, it's, it's the community. It's, it's, it's who we serve and, and, and whoever resonates with it. I really like that. And it's taking it out the box, isn't it? It's not saying this is what a high-low athlete or somebody who wears our stuff should be or should look like. You're, you're kind of allowing people to kind of crowdsource that idea in a way and kind of bring their own interpretation to it which is the essence of creativity right <laughs> yeah 100% and like my I would love nothing more than it almost to be like a marketplace of creativity where people just sort of like come in and just tell a story of, of running like the world depends on it um, and we are trying to open it up more and more and devolve ourselves from being that central storyteller um, to allow others to sort of like live the brand because you know I've seen it recently actually it's been quite amazing we've done events and usually it would be having me having to lead it but recently we've had like one of our champions turn up and just run the whole event and she just gave like a speech which was like so much better than I could have ever done about what the brand means to her and what she believe what she believes in and I was just like this is so fucking cool like to like have an idea and now it's a completely gone you know affect people because that's kind of where it came from for me was just I wanted something that I could align to and connect to as an athlete and like to see others carry that message better than me it's like it's not my brand it's there do you know what I mean it's theirs it's like what they resonate with and I feel that about like some of the brands I've loved kind of growing up there's these outdoors brands it's like they've been such a part of my experience that feels such a part of you Mm, and we, we spoke before we started recording about the idea of um, bringing people into, into sport, into movement, who might not necessarily have thought that it was a space for them and actually making that something accessible and fluid and, and interesting in ways that they possibly didn't anticipate and, and being able to find kind of their people there. Yeah, I think that's actually something... Um, now I think about it that is actually quite deliberate from us um being uh, being uh, being having been a footballer for so long I've sort of say sort of tongue-in-cheek a little bit that I'm quite literally running away from competition now um and I now I've been through this cycle of like not exercising for like almost a year pretty much and feeling awful awful and then exercising and feeling unbelievable and seeing what it's like sort of on both sides of it and um even when i am exercising now it's not really about a 5k time i couldn't even tell you how quick i run half the time um it's more just about that sort of maintenance and equilibrium that i want to feel in, in myself um but the running space is actually quite intense around PBs and 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 and, and that's really great and I, I sort of love people and having the ambition to to challenge themselves and to do better but I also feel like it can it, it can it can almost excuse environmental stuff it can, it can be an excuse for like 
behaviors and certain things and and i don't think that we have to live in a world now where like running and better impact products are mutually exclusive but if all we do is obsess over pbs then like that conversation just dominates and it's like let's run in that super shoe for one race or let's go to marathons and chuck our gear away because all we care about is getting our time and it's like that's that I don't resonate with, and that I think as a content team or as a as a as a brand, we're trying to like, we're trying to inspire people to do what they want to do, but not to feel unworthy or not to feel like it has to be at the sacrifice of their values. Yeah, I mean, I feel that I can very much connect to Hilo because I can literally read you um and I can see like, oh look, that that guy's actually he's a photographer or like oh he, he's a musician or like look what they're doing now they're playing some music or whatever and yeah there's some running thrown in too but like look, look at who they they are as people or this person has been through this and happens to be wearing your brand as well but it's very much about those different experiences and I think it's I, I think it has a lot of heart in it and it, as we say not just being about can you run this time? Well, yeah, some people can, and that is worthy and, and needs to be celebrated, but there's a lot more to it as well, I think. And you you touched on there, sort of the some of the events that you have led before um, someone did your job for you, and we're sort of better at it. <laughs> um, and I'm interested kind of what you have taken from those challenges and events personally, and then kind of what impact they've had. I feel like um, when we started to do them, I really like got into my groove with the brand and realised that this is arguably a better job than playing football. I, I spoke about it a little bit for a while when when I initially retired. I, I sort of um, my de facto setting was to do everything that I wasn't able to do for twenty years, basically. So. You know, go down the pub and you know not exercise and and be normal um, in inverted commas um, and then we started to run and, and realized that actually I, I needed to um, and then I started to run with people and and explore through running and do these various experiences that you that you referenced and that's when like the magic happened for me and it was like like running with people in amazing places is like the best thing ever <laughs> um and how do i sort of like so it's quite funny because a lot of people start brands or start things or projects to just like try and keep doing their passion and monetize it you know and and for me it was like kind of it, it was partly to do with that but it was we never started really as like a true true running brand and then through like a couple a couple of years in, I just feel like so intensely like kind of connected to running through all of these things that um, I feel like now my job is to keep myself in business just so I can run um, and grow these experiences. Uh, and that's kind of like it's funny because it never started like that. But but these experiences and running with people has like changed the dimension, and especially when I meet people who are like. I, I'm not a runner. Um, probably that, and I'm not a runner, and 
I don't, I can't remember people are the two most frequently said things that I sort of um, get from, from people. And uh, very quickly they realise that they are a runner because they actually run quite a lot and they never thought of themselves like a runner. And they do a community run with ours and they're like, what, how, you know, that was so good. Like I never thought I could talk with people while I was running. And, and the third thing, sorry, is also, I can't run 5k and then they come and run a community run and they run 6k and they're like what um so I find like the these community events and these projects that we've been doing like really feel like we are a community and doing things like that are needed whereas sometimes when you sit behind a laptop and you're you know just like doing digital things it can feel a little bit like vacuous and a little bit like ego driven. Um, whereas when we do these things, it really like connects you to like the purpose of why the brand exists. Yeah, and we talked about, you know, measuring impact. Well, yeah, kind of likes are one thing and possibly not really, really a measure of actual impact. Whilst having someone say like, I didn't know I could do that and thank you. Like, and I found something or I'm gonna do this again. like. But that's the messaging you want, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't name names, but there's um, a girl who um, is is a friend of mine who started running with us a while ago. Um, she's doing the Hackney Half this weekend, and she sent me a message just being like, "I can't believe I'm doing the Hackney Half," and um, it was just so cool to be like, it, "It's not my story; it's nothing to do with that." But that she, through the brand, one of the brand events, has built up the confidence and passion for it to go and do something that she never thought she could do and and that's what sport is that's why it's so special and that's ultimately why I want to spend a life doing it that's so cool what do you what are your thoughts on legacy and what do you hope yours will be well I think legacy is this funny word where I think it's um initially I probably would have given you a, like a very footballery answer um <laughs> Well, the more I'm exposed to it, I think nobody remembers you <laughs> unless you're in like the 0.1% of the world. Even if you do on paper in the world's eyes achieve some crazy stuff, you're forgotten very, very quickly. So I think so it's always try to remind myself that I'm very, very happy being irrelevant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then I guess in in that lens, if I am irrelevant, then do things that are relevant to me and that have purpose to me and the people around me. And I think um, you know having a life where you are connected to sport, connected to the outdoors, that you feel very sort of sometimes uncomfortable and challenged by the things that are in front of you um, is, is, is sort of quite a fun one. Um, and I'm, you know, lucky to be doing that and also to remind myself that I chose to do it um, because we can be a little bit, I think, and sometimes I am a little bit petulant sometimes in sport and be like, Oh, I'm so stressed because I'm doing so much work and how important am I and like how, how, how challenging it all is and, and then I'm like, I started the company and I brought all of this on and um, actually 
it doesn't matter really anyway to a certain degree. So just chill out. Um, and I don't, I, I, trust me, I never tr truly embody that, but I'm, I'm trying to practice it more and more. Mm. And where do you, do you have any vision for where you would want the industry to be in say 10 years? And who do you think is gonna be driving those changes? Do you think it's coming from within the industry, from government legislation, from customer education, from brands working, or do you think it's gonna be a combination of all of those? I think, um, I think it'll be a combination of all of them, but I think there will be like a weighted hierarchy basically. And I think, I think always number one is the consumer, the person, the human, um, whatever you want to call it, who's every day doing what they want to do and buying products to support the thing they want to do, because that's what drives it. The passion for the thing that they want to do is the essence of everything. What they then buy to support that passion and the way that they vote or however you want to call it, stamp their feet in that direction, then drives kind of the movement, the market, the forces, whatever you want to call it. Um, I hope that the brands, rather than react to the customer, proactively change the conversation topic, but I think it'll be probably a mixture of both. I think the customer, the person, will start to vote differently for the products that they want to see, and then that will enforce brands to change and pivot. And I think there will be hopefully sort of a meeting um, in the middle of, of of great brands who have embodied it for true good reasons, um, and also big brand, big brands who haven't but are pivoting because they have the scale and the means to. And to me, it kind of doesn't really matter, like the why, as long as it as long as it happens, um, because you know climate change is a pretty serious uh, existential threat. Um, and you know I'm a dad, and uh, I enjoy running, and I, I sort of want to keep doing it in decent conditions for as long as possible. Um, so I think, yeah, to answer your question, it will be a mixture of all of the above: government legislation, consumer business but i do think the relationship will start with the consumer asking for more demanding more from from the products they wear and getting more educated because they are just educated and then um brands existing like ours who, who genuinely are, are kind of built on the on the premise of 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 impact and and also big brands who aren't but who are changing to meet the needs of the customer and in terms of connecting with those consumers what would your message be to people who maybe feel that sustainability isn't something that is accessible to them i would i would try and understand first of all in that conversation the context of accessibility um, so if it was education in terms of like understanding the problem that's a me problem i need to get better at communicating the problem which I do think we all need to do. It just needs to be simpler, but but not diluted with the facts. It needs to get easier to understand, but not, um, you know, not giving the full context. Um, if it's um, kind of inaccessible because of price, then sort of, I think it's a it's a two way dance. It's like 
where does the price become unaffordable for you versus so where is your price elasticity are you not buying this product because it's 50 percent too expensive for you and then we have like you know there's a there's a there's a i guess an audience problem or there's a there's a we need to do things to try and drive down the cost or is it a cost problem for you by like five ten quid where actually you could afford to do it but um you're not for whatever reason because maybe that you know I, I don't know why because uh, the reason I'm answering in that way is because I think there is a certain um, we need to change the way we consume and if that means we sort of slightly overspend comparative to where we are then that allows companies like, my, like myself to reinvest and to grow and to improve and to drive price points down to more accessible places for other people because um, there is just this like incredible interwoven mix of variables that go into pricing that people just don't understand. They're just like, why is it so expensive? Which we're not, by the way, like we're actually in, in line with our peers, but it's like labor costs, production costs, material costs, you know, shipping, logistics. And like, if you want to do it well and do it right, like there's cost to that. So it's like, you can't deliver it for 60 quid, like a Skechers or whatever with those mandate, with that mandate. Um, so, um, uh, like, like, but so I guess that that um, for me, uh, there's two sides to it: the the the, the education side and the pricing side. Um, so we need to do more to make all of those accessible. But it is kind of like chicken and egg. We need that support in order to deliver that. Thank you for that reflection, and also obviously the messaging that you're doing regarding end of end of life care for, for for the shoes as well and extending that and I know that you've you've had great conversations with one of my former podcast guests Dan Lawson which um you know he does a lot of work with um you know extending life of shoes and making new things and um and how people can wear things for a lot longer than they think um I think those are all important conversations to to be to be platforming which you are um and I know that you've got so many demands on your time, Michael, including your, your lovely daughter, who we, who we met briefly. And I wish that people could actually see the, the joy and the light that comes to your eyes when you're talking about the really important issues that also light you up. And it's been such a privilege to be able to to have this conversation with you and to and to see that um and my final question that i ask all of my guests um is what does joy mean to you joy for me is is running i know that sounds really cheesy but it is running because i um or movement, whatever you want to call it, but but that manifests itself in running right now because I feel like when I do that thing, something happens inside of me that changes my state and the way that I am and allows me to then be, I think myself more and more, um, and embraces a lot of I embrace a lot more opportunities. I'm a lot more compassionate. I'm a lot more kind. I'm a lot more at peace, and I I notice that without that and maybe that's something for me to go and work on but without that i can be a bit intense i can be sometimes a bit direct and short and um 
this kind of this fine balance. And I think especially in athletes, when you've been institutionalized and kind of there's this 20-year legacy of competition that um, I can sometimes find it difficult to sort of express myself and be um, um, give a conversation or a relationship the thing that it needs and not what I want it to be. Um, and when I run, you know, that, that all of those things become a lot easier and, and life is just a lot more joyful for me. Um, so for me, running is joy um, simply because it allows me to get to a place of, um, of balance and, and, and to be, to be a, a good person to others and, and, and really a lot nicer to myself. I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.